Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that the gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. And you might think to yourself, good news, what could be better than beholding how righteous God is, how perfect and sinless He is? And I would answer you that this revelation all by itself would not help us, it would crush us. Paul must mean something more than this, or it is far from being good news. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the statement, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And we want to understand properly what it is that this statement means. And if we do, if we will understand it properly, it will open up to us a wonderful understanding of the manner or the way in which God has brought salvation to us. But if we understand this statement incorrectly, it will drive us away from this gospel. It will bring upon us a sense of not God's salvation, but God's condemnation. Right up front here is what we have to understand. This is not primarily a reference to the attribute of God's righteousness. This is not primarily a reference to God's righteousness. Now God is righteous. He always does what is right. And he also demands what is right from us. But this revelation alone will not bring us into the good news. It will only heap upon us bad news. If you want to understand the righteousness of God and the way that God then extends his righteousness to us and how we're to live, read the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a distillation of the righteousness of God being applied to the way we should live and the righteousness that God requires of us as well. But the Ten Commandments is something different from. The law is something far different from the gospel that we know through Jesus Christ. And so what Paul means here when he says... The gospel reveals the righteousness of God, which comes by faith, is what we're going to give ourselves to try to understand. And it's something quite different than simply understanding this as an attribute or a revelation of God's righteousness. I'm going to speak about this some more, but before we do, let's just remember that Paul has just prior to this said that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Last week we spoke about what this salvation entails. Believing and receiving this gospel brings to an individual an expression of the gospel's power that delivers them from the guilt of their sin into the forgiveness of sins. It delivers them from the defilement and stain of sin into the holiness and purity that God would give them. It delivers them from the bondage of sin into freedom. And it delivers them from the punishment, the alienation, and the everlasting ruin of sin into a relationship with God and into everlasting life. That's what salvation is. And it comes to us by way of the gospel and believing that gospel. And the gospel is basically this, that the eternal Son of God has come in love for sinners, and that's who we are. And as a human being, Jesus Christ has lived a sinless and perfect life. He lived the life that we could not live ourselves, and he died in our place the death that we deserve to die. And as God in the flesh... He paid the price that makes available to us forgiveness from God. And then Christ rose again from the dead to place all those who will believe in him and trust in him into his righteousness and into the payment that he has made on our behalf for our sins. It is this work that he's done 
that is good news. It's this work that's the gospel. And when you believe that, it's this work that brings to us salvation. It's this work that brings to us in belief, forgiveness and cleansing and freedom and deliverance from punishment into a relationship, an everlasting relationship with the eternal God. And no wonder, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this. It's the power of God unto salvation. So now Paul says in verse 17, a very short statement which encompasses the whole theme of the book of Romans. And so it's quite important that you understand it. We're going to look at it, but then we're going to wonderfully be able to dive into the reality of that in a saturated way over a period of time as Paul begins to then expound that truth further and further through the book of Romans. In verse 16, Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In verse 17, Paul gives us the ingredient of that power, how it is that the gospel brings to us or what it is in the gospel that has within it, latent within it, this power that saves us and delivers us. What he says, it reveals, is the righteousness of God through faith. The power of the gospel to save us is found in the fact that in it is the righteousness of God. Now we have to ask some other questions, and this will be the points of our message. We have to ask, well, what is this righteousness of God that it's referring to? How does that work for us? Then the next question we have to ask is, in what way is it revealed to us? What does it mean that it's been revealed to us? The final question we have to ask is, what is this faith through which this righteousness is revealed to us? And these are the three questions we need to ask and we need to try to answer. And so let's go to it right away. And the first question is, what is the righteousness of God that Paul is referring to here? And as I just said, It is not primarily a statement that God is righteous. This is not a declaration merely of the attribute of God as a righteous God. Martin Luther, when he first came to this text, understood this text in that way. He understood that the text was saying that God has revealed his righteousness to us and his righteous standards for us. And that understanding by Martin Luther nearly drove him mad, nearly drove him crazy. He thought this phrase referred to the absolute character of God's moral righteousness or his exactitude to do all things that are right and good and his command that we should follow suit and live in that righteousness. When we say that God is righteous, we're saying that he is the standard for his own moral laws and that those standards are perfect and that God perfectly keeps those standards himself. He's righteous. God is the absolute standard for moral right and moral wrong and God's own actions perfectly accord with his standard. What he asks of us is what God completely fulfills in himself. He's righteous in every way. And believing that this is what Paul was referring to, Luther then thought, well, then faith must be having the eyes of faith to see and understand the righteousness of God and then to follow from that righteousness to seek to live a righteous and good life that God would give us. So a righteous person is a person whose faith looks to God for the right way to live and then goes out and lives it. Now, do you think that was gospel to Luther? Having come to that conclusion, was he relieved to know that he knew the right way that he had to live in order to please a righteous God? No, no, it it brought him under the heap of his own condemnation. Though his eyes could behold the right ways of God and that God was entirely righteous, He found that he was incapable of living up to that standard. And the more he peered into this, the more dire his situation became. 
the more he began to understand how utterly righteous God was and the exact nature of God's standard for him, the further and further he is driven into a sense of his own sinfulness. It didn't bring him to the power of the gospel. It brought him into condemnation. You got to read the passage there in verse 16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation and that word power of God basically is to be compared to the righteousness of God. They're similar to one another. But the power of God leads to a good news. It leads to a good result. It leads to salvation. But the righteousness of God was going in the opposite direction for him. Understanding the righteousness of God in this way, he wasn't being led into salvation. He was, he was being led into further and further condemnation. As a result, having learned the character of God's righteousness and seeing the character of God's pure and perfect law for him and knowing that he did not measure up in any way to that and that he failed in thought and mind and action, Luther began to hate the notion of the righteousness of God. It haunted him. It condemned him. He wanted to blot it out from his mind, but he couldn't, and it nearly drove him mad. So what do we say to this? Well, we say clearly, the righteousness of God understood in this way, is not good news. And it cannot be what Paul is speaking of and speaking to in this passage of Scripture. It has to be something other than merely a revelation of God's perfect moral attributes or character and the application of that perfect moral attribute to the way in which we live. There's much more that we have to understand in what Paul is saying here, but primarily what we must see here is that this reference to God's righteousness through salvation is the righteous way in which God provides salvation. When the Bible says that the gospel is the righteousness of God, it is saying that it is the righteous way in which God provides salvation to sinners without compromising his own holy standards. God saves us righteously. God provides salvation for us in such a way that it does not compromise his own righteous character, but instead his salvation affirms that God is righteous in every way. The very way that God brings salvation accords with his character. As such, the righteousness of God and the salvation of God are linked together. God cannot, understand this, God cannot save us in any way but in a righteous way. It has to fulfill his own righteous law and his own righteous demands. The psalmist understood this. The psalmist recognized, however God was going to accomplish this, that God's salvation would have to fit or have to meet the requirement of his own righteousness. And so in Psalm 98 too, the psalmist sings or teaches the people to sing, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of all the nations. These two have to go together. Salvation and righteousness have to go together. And uh, David understood this as well. David is longing for God to bring him salvation, and yet he knows that this salvation has to meet and satisfy the righteous requirements of who God is. David in Psalm 51 is praying that God would forgive him of a horrific sin. And he's seeking that God would wash from him the guilt that he has from that sin. He actually prays that God would cleanse him and wash away and remove from him the guilt of shedding another innocent person's blood. He's praying that God would forgive him of murder. How can God justly forgive the unjust of the grave and horrible acts of injustice? That's what David is asking for. That's what David is asking God to do. And yet David understands that 
By faith, he understands that this is possible, that God has promised this. So God must have a way of accomplishing it. And so David, as he prays for God to purge him of his blood guiltiness, also seeks for God to save him in a righteous manner. This is what David says in Psalm 51 verse 14 at the height of his prayer. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. We know what that means. We know what he's done. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. God, save me from this, and I'll praise you for your righteousness. David puts it another way in Psalm 65, verse 3, the very same statement. He says this, when iniquities prevail against me, you know, when sin is coming upon me and it's overwhelming me and I'm succumbing to temptation. And actually, what does it mean when iniquities prevail against you? I'll give you another phrase that David uses. It's in Psalm 38, 4. There he says, my iniquities have gone over my head. I'm in over my head in sin. He says, they're too heavy a burden for me to carry. There's a picture of iniquities prevailing against you. David again says in Psalm 65, 3 then, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. You provide atonement for it. You provide a punishment for it. And then in verse 5, David exalts in this reality because he knows what's behind it. He says, By awesome deeds you answer us with your righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.